0: Really, is scary being the first person. Um, nothing about what you said tonight, so I'm sorry. My first question is: um, Where do you stand, you personally, and on the emergent church? Your name has been associated with that for a lot uh, last couple of months, years, whatever. Uh, your stance on that, and just general comments on the emergent church. Yeah. Well, you know. The, the, uh, <clears throat> This phenomenon that people are calling the emerging church, no, it's just something that's happening. And I happen to get around and meet a lot of these people, and I suppose, you know, in that way, I get to see what's happening. And like everything else, I think there's some really good things happening, and there's some not so good things happening. But in some ways, I'm at least glad that something's happening. Uh, the, the way I think about it is. If you imagine a tree, you know, when you you cut a cross-section of a tree, you see all the different rings, and the outermost ring is the ring that shows the tree's current growth in relationship to today's climate. Well, let's imagine, now, we'd have to kill the tree to do this, so imagine we're doing this without actually cutting the tree, but imagine you're looking at this cross-section of a tree, and you have different sectors of the tree. So you've got a Catholic sector, and even an Anabaptist sector, and a Reformed sector, and you know, all, Pentecostal sector, all these different sectors of the tree. And, um, and then all of them have the outermost ring. And I think what's happening is everybody with the outermost ring is having to deal with today's contemporary, you know, with contemporary realities. So somebody on the outermost ring of the Pentecostal part of the tree is dealing with the same realities as somebody on the outermost ring of the Anabaptist part of the tree, a uh, uh, ring of the tree. And in a certain way then, a Pentecostal dealing with today's realities has more in common with an Anabaptist dealing with today's realities than he has with a Pentecostal dealing with yesterday's realities. And what's happening is a conversation is happening around this outermost ring of the tree where people are saying, what are the problems? What's going wrong? What's working? What's not working? Uh, what do we have to learn? And that, to me, is a really good conversation. So that's why uh, I usually use the term emerging conversation. Uh, and, and I think it's, and I don't even like the term the emerging church because that makes you think of a new slice of the tree. Uh, I, I'm a lot more interested in helping ev- every sector of the tree do its next ring. And you know, something I like about that image of a, of a, of a new ring on the tree, the new ring only emerges by embracing everything inside of it. Instead of rejecting the past, we have to embrace the past. And then that will help us to bring uh, life, you know, for for the next uh, season. So I hope that's a little bit helpful. Yeah. I I hear you saying that apprenticeship seems to be uh, the best way to communicate and learn it would seem that the family is probably the most natural setting for that to happen. Would you have any comments along that area? Yeah. Well, you know, I think this is one of the reasons. You know how we look back at the Romans and we think, boy, it was really sick that they used to have gladiators go out and fight, you know, lions, and they watched this for sport. I think someday, so many things about our culture, people look back and think, those people were sick. And what's happened for the last several hundred years is we've specialized in, in, in taking communities and breaking them into extended families, extended families breaking them into nuclear families, nuclear families breaking them into individuals, and we've even broken individuals down into things called wants and needs. And, um, and so we stop, we keep losing the whole and breaking it into fragments. And this is one of our terrible struggles in, uh, in the process of making disciples of Jesus. So uh, we have the struggle of trying to do it in the midst of fragmentation. Uh, and I think our challenge is to work on all levels. Uh, you, w- with all respect to uh, you know the radio show called Focus on the Family, I don't think you can build individual Christians without building families and communities, but I don't think you can build families I'm sorry, Yeah, and I don't think you can build families without also rebuilding communities um, because the isolated family struggles as much as the isolated individual. So this is our problem of rebuilding and on all of these levels. And when you think about it, if you line up all of the efforts in the world to rebuild individuals, rebuild families, and rebuild communities, outside of the church, there's not a whole lot of rebuilding effort going on. So all of you who are, you know, members of churches and all of you who are church leaders, I know sometimes it's easy to get discouraged, but this is essential work for our planet and for God's world and and we're in this rebuilding process. One other thought about this, to build a disciple, you cannot build a disciple apart from family and community Because, for example, a characteristic of a disciple is that he or she knows how to forgive. Well, he can't learn how to forgive unless he's around some people to wrong him, which is what families are for. Uh, I know, but you know, this is inevitable. So, you know, these things go together. uh, So I I hope that's helpful, yes? Uh, This evening, you talked a little bit about the breadth of the understanding of world as you used it in the second illustration. Yeah. And I know late in your book on the secret message of Jesus, you talk about uh, restoration of all things um, yeah. in the harvest, et cetera. Uh, speak a little bit about what brought you to that position and understanding and what that may mean for us as Christians today. I um, see, I, like a lot of people, uh, grew up. It, it, not only in a world that focuses on individuals, but also in a church that that the understanding of the word salvation" was always the salvation of the individual 's soul and uh, I always felt when I read the Bible that that wasn 't what they were thinking about they weren 't as focused on the individual as I was. I was mentioning this earlier today when I was a summer camp counselor at a Christian camp. We were taught how to lead children to Christ, and we were told to take John 3:16 and put the individual's name in it. Now, that's not—I'm not saying there's no place for that, but you understand to say, "For God so loved Johnny Smith that He sent His only Son to die for Johnny Smith," that's not the same thing as saying God so loved the world. Uh, it doesn't have the same effect on Johnny Smith to to believe that. So uh, that's what started me—you know—just this feeling that my theology wasn't totally in sync with the mindset of the Bible really got me thinking about this. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't know what else got me thinking about it, except primarily the Bible, actually. Uh, I, I would just add, some of us were talking about this earlier today. One of the ideas that has really helped me in reading the Bible is the idea that, that the Bible is not supposed to be a repository of timeless statements like somebody took the U.S. Constitution and cut it up in little pieces and sort of shook it up in a box and then put it in a book form and your job was to leaf through and try to pick out the pieces and put them in the order of an outline again. See, that's the way many of us were taught to read the Bible. Um, But no, the Bible is a collection of literary works that are the uh, uh, that are the um, it's like a museum where we can go back and look at all of this and learn about the story of people who've been in touch with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what we have to do is try to put that narrative together, try to get an understanding of the flow of that story so we can see how, it, how we fit in it. And that story, it seems to me, was not as I was taught it was not the story of how to get earth over with as soon as possible so we can all go to heaven and the earth, the analogy I use, the earth is like a candy wrapper and our souls are like the candy bar. God wants to extract our souls and throw away the wrapper. But no, I mean, the, the, the book is about a lot more than that. It's about, it's about uh, the redemption of the planet. Uh, the way I say it in, in Secret Message of Jesus is, we're taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And if we really wanted to make the Lord's Prayer conform to our theology, we would edit it to say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May we go to heaven as soon as possible and leave the earth behind because your will is not done here. See? Uh, i don't recommend we edit it but that that you know that's the kind of thing yes
1: brian i'm really curious as you um were a parish pastor and you took these ideas into the community life that you had and i'm thinking specifically of people who do not yet know jesus but they they become attracted to the community for whatever reason and they're coming into the community how did you form them and shape them i think of my own tradition where you have either the Two hours, and you too can join our church class, or the here memorize this book, and you'll be a member of our church thing. Versus, you know, again, a very different approach here. Yeah. How did you? How did you do that in your
0: parish? Well, I, I think we tried our best and didn't do all that well, you know. Uh, but I, I'll tell you a couple of insights I had along the way, and I just feel like we we're trying to recapture a lost art in many ways. But I'll tell you one story that I think probably illustrates just about everything I could say. Um, we needed new uh, a new a new logo for our church. We were getting some stuff done I, maybe you don 't and nobody needs a logo for the church, but we thought we did anyway um, and i and whenever we 'd ask a religious person to make a logo, it always had doves on it and suns with rays coming out and stuff and I just didn 't you know it, i don 't know so i, I um, And our church wanted to connect with non-religious people, and they would always put the most religious imagery they could. So I asked a friend at the church, do you know any artists who are not Christians who could help us? And so she said, oh, I've got the perfect person. Her name is Cindy. She's like a total non-Christian. And uh, so I met with Cindy, and I explained what our church was about and asked her if she could do this. She said yes. Yes. And when we were done, she said, you know, it's really funny when you describe your church, it sounds like you were designed for people like me and my husband. I said, well, you'd be welcome to come. Uh, but I never saw her. And then about a year later, I met this woman, older woman, who had the same last name, it was an unusual last name. I said, oh, you, you I, I knew someone with that same last name. She said, oh, that's my daughter-in-law. She comes here every week. She's the one who brought me. And it turned out this woman had been coming every week, but she'd sit in the back row and leave, so I'd never seen her. And, uh, or about this time, we had a class on spiritual practices, and uh, uh, we called it the Following Jesus class. And the way this class worked is, uh, every like Tuesday night they would meet, and they would learn about a spiritual practice, like they'd learn about fasting, and then their homework was to fast. And then the next week they would come and the first half of the class they would talk about their experience fasting and the second half they'd learn about contemplative prayer and then the next week do contemplative prayer. So this class had the sort of reputation this is a hardcore class for people who are serious because you actually had to do this stuff. And uh, you didn't just learn about it and become an expert in it. And uh, so my wife signed up for this and she was a little nervous like boy I don't know if I can handle this this is going to be heavy. The first night she comes home and she says yeah, there's a woman in the class named Cindy who I never met before. And I thought, and it was the same woman. And I knew that she was not a Christian yet. I'd met her in between and she was searching, you know. And I thought, this is going to be interesting. And my wife told me about the third or fourth week when they did contemplative prayer, this was their homework assignment. Get in a quiet room and set up two chairs facing each other. Sit quietly in one chair. And your only job is to... Let the other chair represent the presence of Christ and just sit quietly in, in the presence of Christ. So they go around the room, you know, to share this next week about this. And Cindy says, Well, something happened. She said, I sat down like we were supposed to do. And she said, After a little while, I knew that I wasn't alone. And I knew that I was in the presence of someone. And I knew that that someone knew my name. And I knew that I was loved. I think it was God. And it was interesting. what That was a a step in her following, becoming a follower of Christ. But it wasn't give her this information, make her sign a card. It was help her learn how to experience God and follow God and learn. Like Danny said, learn the ways of Christ. Let's go here and then we'll go here. And probably this will be all the time we have. Yes.
1: I think you've already answered part of my question, but I'll I'll add to it and and allow you to comment, Um, continuing on that. You've talked about the importance of um, spiritual disciplines and some might call them spiritual traditions and the importance of those in spiritual formation. Can you speak a little bit to how that should balance with those who are out on the outer edge? Yeah. and And responding to maybe some of the conflict that happens between those that are more concerned about the tradition
0: yeah. and
1: those who are more yeah. edgy, so to speak.
0: yeah, that's a okay. it's a really good question. I mean, there's an awful lot of that going on, right? Uh, I here's maybe uh, of all the things that should be said about that, maybe not the most important, but The issue to me is not tradition. Um, The issue is, well, let me say it this way. The issue is not institutions. The issue is what is institutionalized by our institutions. Uh, Institutions preserve things, but sometimes they preserve good things, and sometimes they preserve not-so-good things. So if an institution preserves a feeling of superiority in people... The problem isn't the institution, the problem is the superiority. If an institution preserves an attitude of fear, we're the only ones who have it right, we better be careful or they'll be polluted with us. Well probably the, the actual content of that community is beautiful, but the fear is the, is the thing that needs to be identified and purged. So what I, and unfortunately what ends up happening is people argue about the traditions If I could use an example, I don't know if we have any Seventh day Adventist people, but I was speaking to a group of Seventh day Adventists some uh, years ago, a few years ago, and they were talking about all these changes, and they said, and they knew I'm not Seventh day Adventist. They said, well, what do you think about the Sabbath? Well, I said, I'm for it, you know. Uh, (laughs) But they said, no, what do you think about can we preserve it? I said, the problem isn't the Sabbath, the problem is thinking that you're better than everybody else because of the way you observe the Sabbath. Stop telling me, stop telling us that you're the only people who have the right view of the Sabbath and start enjoying the Sabbath and telling us why you enjoy it and what benefits it brings you and why it's important. Do you see what I'm saying? So this to me is, our, is one of the things we, we have to grapple with. Let's go here and then here. Yeah.
1: You mentioned earlier today in a session about a, a gospel track and just kind of a traditional um, yeah. approach to The gospel to salvation what would you how would you describe what salvation is and how would one for lack of a better term obtain uh,
0: salvation yeah well what I uh, first of all this is interesting with Jesus Um, you know Jesus hardly ever does it the same way twice Uh, and so to me part of this is our need to have the basic message of the kingdom of God Now to me, some of us talked about this earlier today, the message of the kingdom of God is a message that all human beings are called to reconcile with God and with all of creation, all other human beings in creation. And that God is not holding our sins against us. Our sins have been taken care of. We're welcomed in and we're accepted. So we're just called to enter into that reconciliation. Um, And so that's what I want to invite people to do. Um, And um, But that to me can be expressed in a hundred different ways. And and this is one of the reasons Jesus told so many different parables. In fact, it's probably better to have ten different ways of giving an angle on it than to have the one way that you standardize and mass produce. Now, one of my mentors uh, taught me a lot, uh, who said, uh, we must teach what Jesus taught in the manner that Jesus taught it. So mass producing and standardizing was not one of Jesus' main techniques. And that's very maddening to us, but I'm not sure, I think we'd probably be better off actually trying to learn to have this general understanding of the kingdom of God that can be expressed in a lot of different ways. This will be our last question. you. Thanks.
1: Yeah, as a Christian who grew up in the church, I've noticed that the church is very good at capitalizing on on something and uh, on, on an idea or, or whatever. And uh, so I was just wondering, how do we deal with it when um, when someone wants to you know, take their church through a seminar so they can put, you know, an emerging church or a postmodern church up along with CQ Sensitive and Willow Creek Association.
0: Yeah, so if I understand your question, you're saying like we turn everything into kind of a fad and a marketing Yeah, day. yeah.
1: How do we avoid that with an emerging
0: church? Yeah, I think it's too late. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, everything gets marketed. Everything gets fadized. And, and so your question's really good. I think what it means is that to live in our culture well you know what I was thinking about this the other day if if we lived uh, 800 years ago and we were raising our children uh, we would have to tell them look be careful if you go out at night because there are packs of wolves that might get you and uh, be careful if you uh, go uh, you know down at dusk to the stream side because there are mosquitoes with malaria that might get you and we'd have all these things we have to warn them about And I think in our world, we have to warn our kids just as much about exactly what you're bringing up, the tendency to turn everything into a commodity and a product and a fad and a program and a shortcut. Um, And and maybe this brings us back to sort of the the idea uh, of apprenticeship, that uh, in apprenticeship, it's a lifelong process. You know, nobody who really knows what they're talking about ever says uh, you know I- I've learned everything there is to learn about playing the classical guitar uh, you know there, there's all you know th- there's always more to learn that's probably a good place for us to end uh, is to realize that as followers of Jesus you know no matter how far you've come in fact the farther you've come isn't it true you realize how much farther there is to go and uh, I—that's something I love about following Jesus. Uh, you know, I was uh, talking to somebody today about my wife. Uh, he said, uh, "Your wife is a really good conversationalist." I said, "Yeah. Um, I, I tell you, after 27 years, I've never been bored. I never know what she's going to say next." Uh, and uh, you know, there's the sense that with. Sometimes we can get bored with religion, but actually following Jesus Christ, it's pretty interesting, isn't it? Could I close in prayer, and then I think we have a final song. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, please uh, help us just learn to be your followers, and maybe even tonight to have some fresh picture that, of what it means to be, to experience this amazing thing called salvation, and to think about your saving love for this world, and to think about, Father, how you sent your Son, Jesus, into this world, not to condemn it, but to bring liberation, and healing, and transformation, and uh, it's very tempting for us to look for a shortcut, and it's very tempting for us to criticize others, and But what we really would like to to say as sincerely as we can tonight is, let it begin with me. And help us each just very sincerely before you tonight. From the youngest to the oldest, from the one with the most church background to the one who's very new to all this we look around and see the world is in such a mess, so much violence, so much injustice, so much lust and greed and hatred, and all we want, please, Lord, is let us experience transformation so that we can spread it. Help us to learn your music so we can play it and so that others can learn it as well, we ask in Jesus' name. As a song of response, please turn to number 444. This is an African-American spiritual. Uh, You're encouraged to improvise um, with harmonies as we sing together all four verses.